From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 176. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Anchor, and Sanebox. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Mr. Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. You know, 175, I don't think we even made a big thing of it. That was a pretty good number last week, but we just blew on past it, I guess, onward to 200. 176 is even nicer because it's one more. Okay, sure. This is the this is the highest number we have <laughs> ever, we've done. ever done. It's, it, that, that is quite yep. a thing to remark upon. Uh, our Snell Talk question, our hashtag Snell Talk question this week, comes from friend of the show, Mr. Todd Vaziri. And Todd asks, oh. Jason, if you were restricted to only one Star Wars film for the rest of your life... Which one would it be, and you can take into account theatrical and or special edition for this? So you have to pick a specific movie, and if there are different versions, you can pick within that version if you would like to. Well, the good news is um, this is an easier answer than you would think because I'm a Star Trek fan. <laughs> um, no, no, it's Star Wars, Jason. Star Wars. I uh, grew up in, you know, I was born in 1970, so I grew up in the 70s, and it's impossible to be a six, seven, eight-year-old kid uh, when Star Wars comes out and not be conversant in and a fan of Star Wars. Just it, it was, for those who are younger than me, it was impossible. Like, for those who don't remember life without Star Wars being around, trust me, there was that moment when you're a kid and Star Wars happens, and that whole generation is just... I mean, Star Wars is written on my generation, essentially. Um, but uh, I, uh, anyway, I would pick The Empire Strikes Back and I would pick the theatrical edition, which uh, is, of course, not available on home video unless uh, you, the Harmies despecialized edition falls off the back of a truck. And uh, yeah, that one. The, the and Press Strikes Back for various reasons that we don't have to get into here. But, you know, short version is um, I like the original Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back kind of equally, but there's more to The Empire Strikes Back. They, you know, it, it, it jumps straight into the story because we don't have to introduce all the characters. Um, it, 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 there's just, it's more, uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, more of a movie than the original Star Wars is, as much as I love the original Star Wars. So I would go with Empire Strikes Back. I don't know if I've ever shared this controversial opinion of mine on a podcast before, but I'm going to. Um, the original Star Wars, A New Hope, I actually find in places to be quite boring compared to the other movies. Like, I watched the original one and I'm like, oh, this is very slow. I, I hear that. Well, I mean... I think there's truth to that. When I say that the, you know, it has to establish everything, right? And so you've got a lot of parts that are, are it's taking its time. Also, it's not a worldwide phenomenon yet, and there's only so much money they can spend. And so, you know, there's like, let's just have the robots walk in the desert for a while. Yeah. And stuff like that. And uh, yeah, so it's a different, if it's a different thing. And I do, I do love it for a lot of reasons. Also, the other thing about Star Wars, the original Star Wars, um, is that it's, um, I mean, pro or con is that it's a very simple film. If you think about the plot of it, to the point where I was talking to my wife about this, like she would always have trouble remembering what happened in the original Star Wars. Yeah. Because you get the feeling like, okay, well, so they, they, they meet up and 
blow up the Death Star. And what else happens in that movie? And the answer is, nope, that's it. <laughs> that's all that happens in that movie. It it ends and you're like, that's it? That's the end? It's like, yeah, that's it. That's all that happens in this one. Um, and that can be seen as a positive or a negative. Um, it's definitely not overstuffed, but... Uh, but despite my love of that one and the nostalgia about that one, uh, Empire Strikes Back made when they, you know, they no longer had to worry about justifying their budget and they could, they could pack a lot more stuff in and they, you know, had more ability to do special effects. And there's just so many reasons why. And I think the script is just really good. I think the dialogue is great. Um, there is just, there's a lot in there. The fact that, that I can watch that now and notice things that I've never noticed before says a lot about that, that film. So I pick that one. And maybe for the first time ever, uh, I have a secondary snow talk question related to the first, which comes from wow. Joe Steele because Joe asked in reply to Todd's question, Jason, how cruel is Todd's question? Uh, it's not so bad because I'm not John Syracuse. Mm. Uh, <laughs> So, or I'm not Dan Morin. Um, Star Wars is not. I like Star Wars a lot, but I like I would never put Star Wars fandom at the top of my fandom list. And I think it. I'm pretty sure it's at the top of Dan's and John's fandom. And as a result, I could get by watching only one Star Wars film ever. I would prefer not to, but I could get by because there's a, a bunch of other stuff that I love too. So that's that's. It's not so bad. So thank you so much to Todd and Joe for their hashtag Snow Talk questions. If you have thank a question, you, visual effects industry <laughs> yes. for sending us questions. <laughs> for, <laughs> if you uh, are in the visual effects industry or not, it's not important. Uh, you can send in a question to open the show with the hashtag Snow Talk. You got me there, Jason Snow. I got to get through this hashtag Snow Talk. <laughs> Uh, to get your question in for the beginning of the show. And we move into follow-up. Last week, we had a Ask Upgrade question asking why oh, we do did. Final Cut Pro and uh, Logic not offer uh, free trials? And we made we had a discussion about it. We spoke about the constraints of the App Store, etc., etc. Uh, we had pointed out to us by many people uh, but somebody on uh, Twitter via the name Ecclesiast was the first to point out that Apple does indeed very peculiarly offer a trial for Final Cut Pro, which yeah. is a direct download from Apple's website. You have to enter in a bunch of information. free trial. And you get a 30-day free trial. And honestly... That's so, so old school yes. Apple. Like, I, I can't believe... I knew that they did this. I... I just kind of assumed that they didn't do it anymore because it's so unlike what Apple's current policies are. Mm -hmm. But obviously somebody's like, look, there's no way we're going to make a go of it with Final Cut if we can't offer a demo. Uh, so let's let's offer a 30-day trial. So Final Cut has one. Logic doesn't, but Final Cat does. Final Cut does. I like Final Cat. Final Cat. <laughs> who, who is the Final Cat? <laughs> wait, I don't know, what, but he's a pro. Wait, what was the last <laughs> cat name? <laughs> what was the last cat name uh, of uh, OS X? That's the Final Cat. That's 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 Final Cat Pro. So is, that, is Mountain Lion? Mountain Lion. Yeah, final? I think that was it. Yeah, I think that was it. Um, so yeah, you can you can get it. I'm I'm concerned now uh, that. There are people inside of Apple that don't know this exists, and then next week this page mysteriously disappears because we've mentioned it. <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> Can you oh, imagine? No. You saw nothing. We were never here. You saw nothing. I would say instead, hey, those people who are listening, Logic Pro trial, please. Yep. Um, there was uh, also Matthew pointed out, uh, this is this is a really good piece of follow-up as well, that you can actually get Logic and Final Cut 
um, for $200 of part of Apple's education bundle, um, which you buy this on Apple's website, and then they send you a bunch of codes that you redeem on the Mac App Store, and it includes Final Cut Pro, Logic Pro, Motion 5, Compressor 4, and Main Stage 3. So huh. that's for $200. Um, I'm sure that they're like you're supposed to be in education, uh, but it doesn't look like they have any way that you need to prove it. Um, but if you, you know, <laughs> so go go at it. Two hundred dollars, you get all of it. Um, maybe you do have to prove at some point. But then, if you are in education, you, this is a great. Deal are you for in you. education? Do you have a student in your house? Have you been educated before? <laughs> Would you like to learn something that is related to these applications? So mm-hmm. yeah, you can you can go and you can get that. And uh, two hundred dollars is a fantastic deal for those applications. So if that is a, a thing that you can do, then great, you should go for it because that's worth it. So uh, we have. This is one of those follow-up things that we have heard from uh, a bunch this week. And thank you to everybody uh, who took the time to write in to let us know. Uh, you can stop telling us now. We also <laughs> spoke about our Snell Talk question last week, as I asked you if you used uh, the dark mode in inverted commas on macOS. Um, you said no because there was no dark mode. <laughs> it's just a menu bar. Um, so yep. Jordan sent in to us a link uh, to a Medium post from friend of the show, uh, Guillaume Rambo, who is at underscore inside on Twitter. He's a, a really excellent person to follow um, on Twitter. If you don't, you should because they've, they like Steve Trout and Smith, find a bunch of like just fascinating things from digging inside of code uh, on iOS uh, and macOS, and one of the things that Rambo found was a code and uh, mention and UI elements for entire dark themes for basically every piece of Apple Chrome inside of macOS. It is also possible to enable this, but I would probably suggest that you don't, um, but it's possible to do. So I think that this shows that this either is or was being worked on? Yeah, I think was is probably the case. I think this goes back to like El Capitan, at least. I remember when this came out, the idea was that we thought we were going to get a dark mode. Instead, it was the dark menu bar. It turned out there were bits of dark mode in the system, but it wasn't ever put through and never touched upon later so that was the source of some of my grumpiness last week about the fact that there isn't a dark mode is that we know that the work was done but what we got was a dark dock and menu bar and like i said i don't think that's enough um you know my example was like you open a a safari favorites list and it you know for a new page and it's just a white screen and maybe in dark mode that would be a black screen with white text but no it's not so yeah, it's 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 there. Maybe they'll revisit this sometime. Although I I I feel like not very optimistic about it, given the fact that that they went pretty far down that path and then decided not to ship it. So uh, we now have more media news to talk about. So before we do, I want to take a slight sidebar. Um, since I have started to want to include this into the show because I think it's important. Um, And I know that I don't hear this type of discussion on any other uh, Apple show that I listen to, but I think we both agree that this is clearly an important thing for Apple, so therefore warrants discussion on this show. Since we have decided to start doing this, basically every week or every two weeks, there has been some news of some description. So I think that this now warrants its own segment name, but I can't think of one. So Upgradians... Hmm 
tweet to me and give me suggestions for what we can call this media segment. And I have a couple of rules here. I don't want alliteration, so I don't want Mike's media something. That's that's not like <laughs> if you, you look the the typically our segment names. Uh, we're already in the chat room. We have alliteration with my name. Uh, Mike's <laughs> Media Menagerie, as Kate has suggested. So that's the first and last time you're going to hear that. Uh, Kate, it's a great <laughs> suggestion. I just don't want it. Um, because as you may notice, our, our segment names, which we do have, they tend to be hashtags or they tend to be just one word. That's kind of what I like for this stuff. You can see it in the naming of basically every show that I'm on. I like things to be nice and concise. Um, so if you have any suggestions, please send them to me. I'm at imike, I-M-Y-K-E on Twitter. So Apple have signed yet more television shows. Of course. So, of course they have. Got to spend, have... spend that billion dollars. <laughs> and boy, are they. So we have a few here today. So I'm going to go through these as quick as I can. Um, Apple has signed a straight-to-TV offer from a project by Stephen Knight, creator of Peaky Blinders, and Francis Lawrence, who is the director of some Hunger Games movies. This project is called C-S-E-E, and is described as, this is from Deadline, an epic world-building drama set in the future. This isn't the only future thing they've got, right? We were talking about it's a science not. fiction thing. Science, uh, Ron, uh, Ron Moore project is yes. a science fiction pro- project too, yeah. This is also direct to series because yep. Apple is not interested in seeing your pilots. They don't want them because they don't have enough time to launch this this uh, whatever this service is going to be mm-hmm. with the pilot development process. So they're t- they're taking the the scripts and the pitch and they're going straight to series, eight episodes. Make the eight episodes, you know, because that's the other way TV development happens is they approve the script, they give you money to shoot a, a sample episode called a pilot. And then they look at the pilot and they maybe test it with audiences or, or the, you know, the executives look at it and then they say yes or no. Apple's just like, mm-mm, <laughs> here's, nope, here's your money, eight episodes, go. Just yeah, make it good. It. That's all we ask. Please just make yeah. it good. So, Please. like, you know, I think it's it's clear that they are working with people that have creds, right? Which is why they're, you know, they're, sure. they're picking specifically because they get taking mm-hmm. gambles on these. Uh, this will likely be eight episodes um, with one season order. Uh, this is now the fourth scripted show that Apple has ordered. Uh, we missed one over the holiday break. Oh yeah, okay. So there's there's Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon's yep. morning show drama. There is Ron Moore's alternate space race story, where the space race continued past the sixties and seventies. Mm-hmm. There's C, the world building drama set in the future, whatever that means. That's yep. like saying plot filled story, world building drama. But okay, and uh, and there then is, there what's is, the fourth? Well, there is the Steven Spielberg thing as well. Oh, there's um, amazing, amazing stories. That's also scripted. So that's that's, that's, that's four. like a reboot. I think it, I don't know if if deadline well, it's a, it's, that separately, it's, but it's an anthology series. Yeah. Okay, so what what else are we missing? It is called Are You Sleeping? Um, it stars Oscar winner Octavia Spencer. And has come from Reese Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine production company. You may remember this because the uh, the, the morning show drama also came from Witherspoon's Hello Sunshine production company, and she's starring in it. So that I thought that was really interesting. That obviously there is a good relationship here because Apple have ordered two of the shows that her company's working on. Um, Deadline describes uh, Are You Sleeping as a unique glimpse into America's obsession with true crime, true crime podcasts and challenges its viewers to consider the consequences when the pursuit of justice is placed on a public stage. 
And even more interestingly, Sarah Koenig, the creator of Serial, is consulting on the series. Yeah, it's uh, like sort of Serial, the television series, but sort of like the making of a podcast-like I like this premise, like the idea of like, we all seem to like these true crimey type things, but what happens when you put justice to the masses? That's kind of the way that I'm looking at this. And I kind of like this. Like if you look at what was happening during like season one of Serial, it seemed to get a little bit wild for some time. Right. Uh, And yeah, so I'm, I'm keen, I'm kind of keen to see how that plays out. I'm definitely more interested in this show than in the sitcom about Alex from Gimlet <laughs> starring Zach Braff. Yeah, that doesn't that that, that just doesn't look good, right? Like yeah. I would be interested in it in the same way that I was interested in Startup. Like I liked Startup, the, the original season, um, but the show just doesn't look like a very high yeah. quality comedy show. Um, so they, so yeah, that they're the yep. ones that we missed. Oh, but then there is also uh, a documentary series called Home. It is a ten-episode documentary series that takes viewers inside the world's most extraordinary homes and unveil unveils the boundary-pushing imagination of the visionaries who dared to dream and build them. I don't really have any opinion on that, but it is a documentary series that doesn't really seem to push my buttons very much. But that that stuff exists, you know, like these these homey well, type shows. W- one of the things that they need to explore is other kinds of content, right? That yes, is not definitely. scripted, and they and they've hired people who have history and scripted, but I think they've also hired some people who have a history and unscripted, and and they want to, you know, you don't want. If you're Apple, you want to go out with this. You don't want everything to be a sci-fi show. You don't want everything to be the Reese Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston show. You want a, a kind of a variety so you can appeal to a bunch of different people. Mm-hmm. And and this is interesting because it's a docu-series. So it's reality in a way, but it's really an unscripted, uh, you know, it's unscripted in that big in that big thing. It's not like a reality competition show or something like that, like Planet of the Apps was. It is it is a, a different kind of thing. But they, they'll probably do more of that, too. Because yeah, they have to. Um, they want to have that have a a pretty broad set of uh, offerings for whatever they launch, and eventually movies as well, right? That there will be a there will be an offering. I, I would imagine that that will come next, but it would not surprise me. So just as I said last year, that you will you will see announcements of names you recognize. Actors and also creators signing with Apple, and we Tim Goodman and I talked about this a lot on the TV Talk Machine podcast every week. Um, you will at some point at a film festival, you will see Apple make a deal to buy distribution rights for a film, like Netflix does, like Amazon does. You will see that. That's going to happen. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that will that will happen for a while. It might, but my guess is that they're going to focus on series development for now. But I mean, movies is part of it, uh, and there are prestige reasons for that, and they're also just sort of like filling out the you know filling out the content catalog of whatever this service is going to be. So that it'll probably happen at some point. So that's the end of our unnamed media segment uh, for this episode. Please send in your suggestions. I would like to hear them. All right. Today's show is brought to you by a new sponsor, and that is Anchor. Anchor is absolutely the fastest and easiest way for anybody to make a podcast of their own. If you have something that you want to say or a moment that you want to share, but you don't have lots of audio equipment, but you want to get it out to the world, just download the Anchor app from the App Store and record into your phone 
like you're talking on the phone. You just raise it to your ear and the Anchor app will start recording and then they can take care of the rest. They can help you publish. They can help with everything. And as well as allowing you to create a quick podcast of your own, Anchor is also a really great social network. You can follow people, call into their stations, leave them questions, maybe listen to some of your favorite people share their thoughts with you. I've been playing around with the Anchor app for a few weeks as I've kind of been doing a AMA that I'm going to tell you about in a moment, how you can send me some questions. And it is a really nice application. Um, I like that they have music built in. You can hook it up to Apple Music and play Apple Music underneath your like underneath what you're talking about so you can have music beds they have little sound effects that you can add in to string things together it's a really really nice app um, and their service is super cool too if you want to find out more about Anchor there's a great way to do it and that is to go to my page and it's anchor.fm slash Mike Hurley you'll find out more about what Anchor is and what you can do with it and follow me as well because I am doing a persistent audio AMA with you with the listeners of this show to sign up for anchor go to my page you can call into my station and leave me a message i'll play back the best questions and give my answers so go to anchor.fm that's a-n-c-h-o-r.fm slash mike hurley to check it out and leave me an ama question our thanks to anchor for their support of this show all right so it is january and january means oh, it is wish list time so we are going to do an iOS ecosystem wish list, including hardware and software. So it's dream gonna, time, dream time, everybody. It's dream time. So we're going to b- break this down into hardware and then into talking about iOS 12. And this was uh, like many many things in the show. So prompted from an article that uh, you wrote over at MacWorld. So let's break this down. Let's start with the iPhone. So what do we want from the iPhone? More iPhones. Is that what we want, Jason? Do we want bigger iPhones? Do we want smaller iPhones? What do we want? Well, I, um, yes. <laughs> On my list, I put in, I think the next step logically is to do a, a an iPhone 10 Plus if they can manage to get a you know bigger OLED screen because I think people have shown boundless enthusiasm for larger phones. And even though I've never been one of those people who's like, oh, give me that really big phone. I never really liked the iPhone Plus line. I know people do. And although the 10 is bigger, the 10 is a satisfying size for somebody like me. So logically, it would mean that if I'm a small phone person, or at least a not big phone person, and I like the iPhone 10, that probably means there's room for a larger model that other people will like, that uh, perhaps even you. So I feel like on that side, um, there there should probably be... And I want to see the iPhone SE get an update, because it's been a couple of years, and I think it's time. But those are, those are sort of like the edges of iPhone hardware, where I think that we could see some progression. Um, and, and I... Otherwise, with the iPhone 8, I think it's a real question of like, will there be an iPhone 8S or maybe just an iPhone 9 that sort of like is the last of the classic iPhone? Probably, maybe. Maybe that's the one that's been rumored that's got no OLED screen but does have Face ID um, and and doesn't have a button anymore for Touch ID or something like that. I don't know. Or whether it's simply a faster version of the 8 and doesn't add all those fancy sensors and stuff like that. Um, but that that's 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 not on my wish list. I'm just kind of curious about that. I think an SE revision, because there are people who like the small phone, it is popular and it's, a, it's great at holding down the kind of lower end of the iPhone price list. It's a good product to have in... It's like, like the Mac Mini... It is one of these things that's like, it's good to have it around, I think. Even though it's never going to be everybody's favorite, it's going to have a 
a, a, a group of people who like it. It's never going to be your number one seller, but you, it's good to have it there. Um, but I'm curious, do you, are you intrigued by the idea of an iPhone 10 plus? If it has the same features as the iPhone 10 regular size, yes. Like, sure. I mean, maybe it'll have like three cameras on the back, Mike. I don't know. It's well, good. Anything can happen with a plus model. So a couple of weeks ago on Connected, we did our like predictions for the year. And one of my predictions is that there will be a plus size phone, iPhone 10 phone, but it won't have an OLED. And Oh, interesting. That would be a a real kind of sticking point for me. Like I I don't know how I would feel about that because I really like the OLED screen. Like the OLED of the screen is one of my favorite things about the phone because I love all of the apps that I use that use these true dark, like true black themes. I think it's wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And if they had an LCD, the reason I think this, by the way, is that um, I think one of the, one of the, the the problems for supply and release of the phone was uh, OLED screens, and you know we've seen uh, the troubles that Google had, right, with their OLED screens. Yeah, like, but boy, I, oh, I I just I I have a hard time seeing. I feel like the OLED screen is part of what makes the iPhone 10 the iPhone 10. I mm-hmm. guess you could argue retroactively if you're Apple, you could argue, well, no, it's really the no button and the and the screen reaches to the edges of the you know and all of that. Although my understanding is some of that has to do with the nature of the OLED screen that it can kind of be folded down at the mm-hmm. edges. So I just have a hard time seeing something they called an iPhone 10 Plus that didn't have the OLED screen. Yeah, and then my my kind of the secondary part of that is me thinking like. If it is this hard, then there just won't be one this year. Again, I always thought that, like, from when the phone first came out, I was like, I do not imagine them having a plus size one one year later. Like, I always thought it'd be two years later. But if if a plus sized iPhone 10 with an OLED screen came out, I would 100% move to it for the reason that I had a plus phone in the first place. I like the biggest screen that I can have. Like, I think it would be wonderful. So here's here's I, I actually have something from this weekend where I was. When I say I don't want a larger iPhone, it, I think it has a lot to do with me and, and you know, it's probably some ergonomic things like the size of my hands, and the way I hold the phone and all that, and I could probably adapt. But it, it definitely has a lot to do with how I use my phone. And I had this, so over the weekend we were in, in Southern California visiting family. And I had, at one point we were at a, uh, we were at like a, a food hall with a bar and we're sitting there with the, you know, a bunch of people from the family and some friends and we're drinking beer and talking. And I get a note saying that one of the podcasts that got posted on the incomparable was showing as what five Oh three, which is basically forbidden. I don't know why this happened. I still don't know why, but the permissions were wrong on that file. And the only way for me to fix the permissions on that file were me were to SSH into the Unix server and go to the directory and do a pseudo chmod, you know, plus R to the file, like all this Unixy stuff, right? Oh my God. And the funny thing is you can do that on an iPhone. And I did it. I have prompt, uh, the prompt app from Panic, I want to say. And um, it was, I, I totally did it. And I showed it to Lauren and I, I said, look what I just did. And she's like, oh, that's terrifying. I said, it is terrifying, but I did it. Um, That was that moment where I thought, you know what? If I'm out and about all the time, which I'm not, and I'm in situations like that, let me tell you, 
I'd rather have a bigger phone. Yeah. I mean, and that so was what I'm why. saying is I understand. <laughs> yeah. I understand the appeal of the bigger phone because if I found myself in those situations all the time where I'm out somewhere and have to do something that, that really would benefit from a larger screen, I get it then. I, I would get it then. I just I just don't find myself in that situation very often. Yeah, I mean, that was my original reason, right? Is that I was trying to like run a business whilst I had a job right. and like the reason on the way train, I did that yeah. was on my iPhone. Um, and whilst I don't need to do that anymore, like I work at home, I then got used to a bigger screen phone, right? So I love ev- all of the other things that, I, that come with that. So yes, I would love one. But I do want to ask from you though, what does an iPhone SE 2 look like? Like what does it have? I think it's just the internals of like an iPhone 7 or an iPhone 8 um, looking like the iPhone 5, like it still does, like the iPhone, that, that design. Um, I would I would imagine it doesn't have wireless charging or anything like that. I would imagine they will up, upgrade the cameras to... Uh, a more recent iPhone standard, again, maybe the iPhone 8 cameras, maybe the iPhone 8 processor or the iPhone 7 processor, um, you know, so faster and, you know, maybe more memory and, uh, you know, different storage options. But I, I think I, the way I envision it is they're just going to keep it looking the way it does. They're not going to invest in a new industrial design. People like that design. It has been successful as that and just upgrade the internals so they can they can uh, continue to sell it without having to support the old processor for uh, for two more years, right? I mean, I think that's like one of the number one reasons you do it is you bring it up to state-of-the-art-ish because you know people are going to have that phone for three or four years and you're going to want to roll out iOS updates to them. And the current SE is already two years old and it's really two and a half years old if you look at the processor that's in it. So um, that's my that's my thought is is nothing particularly out of the ordinary, just sort of like use the state-of-the-art parts that they use for the cameras and that they use for the processor and just continue to sell it as as a, a new iPhone SE at the bottom of the price list. But like if this phone, the SE, is considered to be important enough to be in the lineup, is it always going to look like this? Uh, I, you know, um, maybe not, but I feel like that design is fine. Like... Honestly, I feel like it's fine. It it doesn't look like other iPhones. I'm not sure it needs to look like other iPhones. It's it's small. It's the small, chunky, you know, iPhone, and and the people who like it continue to like it. So, um, this goes. This is similar to our conversations about the Mac, where I say uh, I'm not sure, or the Mac Mini. <laughs> Or the or the Mac Pro, where it's one of those questions of like, how motivated is Apple to invest in this product? Because updating the internals is one level of investment. Redesigning the case is another level of investment. And I'm not sure the SE needs a, a case redesign, and it would cost Apple to do it. So maybe they just stick with this. At some point, it's possible that that design will be impossible to continue to make, but I'm not sure when that is, other than for style reasons, and maybe for style reasons, they're just never concerned about it because it's fine. It is what it is. It looks like that. It is the, you know, the SE iPhone look. So they don't ever have to change it, quite honestly. Um, And if they do, um, that'll be a big moment because they will have to invest in, in making those decisions my my gut feeling is that we're not anywhere near there now that somebody at apple would say no no we need a complete redesign of the se when we when we release a new version of it because i mean they already released the se and it's just the iphone 5 design so 
they, you know, they've already they've already passed on that once. I, I I don't see why they wouldn't just keep doing what they're doing. In regards to the iPhone 10, um, the only hardware improvements that I can think of would maybe be to f- making Face ID better, um, if that would even be hardware. You know, I would like stuff right. like the ability to have more than one face. I would like that um, eventually. Yeah. Um, I, I think it could do a better job of seeing me in the dark. I definitely have more trouble uh, with it trying to unlock in low-light situations. Um, whether that should be the case or not, it's true for me. Um, and I would like it to be able to to see me better in, in all orientations. Sometimes it doesn't. So I like Face ID a lot. Um, I wouldn't want to necessarily... I, I, no, I wouldn't want to go back to Touch ID. I like Face ID a lot, but it does really feel sometimes to me like version one Touch ID. Like, this is really great, sure, but it can be better, and, and I'm hoping that Face ID 2 um, will be to, like, Touch ID what Touch ID 2 was to Touch ID, you know? Like, sure. huge jumps uh, because it's out in the world and the algorithm and the system can get better. Well, and they may be able to do, you know, things to make, now that it's in the real world too, they may already, presumably they were already working on what the next thing would be for, for that, that, that sensor stack in the front of the, the, uh, of the phone. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's wider, wider field of view or, you know, better able to compensate if you're, if you're further away and then it's at an angle or that your head is tilted or that the phone is tilted. Like there are a bunch of things that, that I'm sure that the people who are working on that are working on as well as something like having additional faces that are capable of being detected and things like that. So um, there's plenty, I mean, it's, it's a, as, as good as it is and face ID is really good. It's a 1.0, right? So there, there's no doubt that the people who are working on it are finding all sorts of ways that they can make it better. And when we get to the iPad, there are, it, it's related there too, right? When we get there. So let's move there. Um, let's talk about iPad hardware. I think first up, do you think we're going to see iPad hardware in 2018? I don't know. I don't know. We might not. Like this is the question: is how often? How often does Apple update the iPad? Uh, the iPad Pro, and what we saw is that the we went so what? So we went from the nine seven to the to the ten five in eighteen months. In 18 months, right? And we went from 12 to 12 in two years. In two years. Yeah, effectively. It was so just under two years. I, right. And now they're all synced up, right? Mm-hmm. So so we had we had new iPads in the fall. Was it the fall that we got the new iPads? We got them in June. Or, we got them at WWDC. Oh, we got them in June. Yeah. Well, so then, then it really is a coin flip. Like, they, I, I think that they could come this fall or they could come next spring. And and the question is just what pace is Apple on for the iPad Pro? Does Apple think that that's a a year plus pace, or is that a two year pace, or a year and a half pace? And it could be anywhere between a year and two years. I, if I had to guess, my guess is it's most likely on a twenty an early twenty nineteen product. My hope is that it's a late twenty eighteen product because. I like the iPad Pro and I'd like to see new models and I'd like to see them to be awesome and faster. I think it's more likely that we'll get new iPhones in the fall and then we'll get new iPad Pros based on a processor variation of the new iPhones in the spring. Um, so I could I could go either way. With the existing iPad Pro hardware, I would like to see some um, because I, th- I do believe that the next iPad Pro is likely to be a one that takes its cues from the iPhone 10, not the OLED screen. Cause that would be bananas. But, but one day though, Ooh, one day, one day. Ooh, yes. yes. But, 
But I do think trying to reduce the bezels even more and if they can, going from Touch ID to Face ID. But this goes back to what we were saying about Face ID a minute ago, which is Face ID on the iPad is a lot harder because the iPad needs to be held in different orientations, which means how does that work? Where do they put the sensor? Is the sensor capable of working in both the orientations? Do they have to do, I don't think they would do two sensors. That seems also way, like way too expensive to do. So I think that I think that's a question is... Um, are they embracing the new iPhone philosophy in the iPad hardware or not? And if they are, which I hope they are, and I think they would, um, that even more sounds like a 2019 product than a 2018. As much as I um, wish wish list, I wanted at the end, I wanted this fall. But you know, is that real? Is that realistic? I don't know. Talking about realistic, or maybe unrealistic. Uh, what about USB C? So. I I don't know what's going on with this is the to me this is one of the biggest questions about what Apple's doing with the iPad which is uh which is where does the iPad go and is Apple aggressively driving the iPad into a bunch of different places now that it's sort of like gotten some traction with the low cost iPad and it's gotten some traction with the iPad Pro is it going to kind of keep pushing there or is it going to just sort of stay back and and we'll see what happens with it. Because like, if you radically change the iPad Pro and do things like reduce the bezels um, and which might make you uh, like reduce the size of the 12.9 version, if you update that one, it could also mean more screen um, or it makes the 10.5 even smaller. There are lots of different ways to go there. Um, do you also say, well, no, it's really a computer, like to the point where we're going to put a USB-C on it instead of Lightning. So don't even think of Lightning for uh, as the iOS connector anymore. It's really, you know, it's it's for smaller devices, and this thing is more like a computer. So we're going to do USB-C. You won't even need a an adapter. You know, plug in a USB-C Ethernet adapter, and it'll just work. Plug in a, you know, uh, for some of that might require iOS updates if they want to support more USB-C devices, um, but. I hope they get there. This, this though, is the larger question about the iPad because um, it happened again this weekend. I wrote about it last year. Um, Marco Arment tweeted this weekend about how uh, he was retweeting Federico with his bridge keyboard. He got a bridge keyboard like I have on the for the iPad 12.9. And um, he said maybe Apple needs to make a like a convertible which is that that iBook that I wrote about on, on Macworld last year. And again, if I if this is a wish list and not a predictions list, yeah, I'm going to wish for that. I'm going to wish for an, another iPad, basically, class device that is something that is more like a PC convertible or like that Google um, Pixelbook thing that is like a convertible laptop tablet that is primarily a laptop but you can turn it into something that's kind of tablet ish either by you know in some of them it's by disconnecting them uh in others of them it's by flipping them around so that the the keyboard is on the back of the of the screen um would apple do that i don't know or or even a more straightforward sort of ios laptop would apple do that i don't know there are lots of arguments against it i think it would be a really interesting product i think it would say something about where apple is pushing ios um, I, I, it would be malpractice for me to predict it, but I do kind of wish it. And that pro- is a product that absolutely should be a USB-C product, right? 
So, uh, but in general, I on the iPad Pro, I feel like the iPad Pro uh, should go should just embrace USB C. That Apple should update uh, iOS to support more peripherals via USB. It already supports a lot via adapters, but you could toss in like I keep on saying, like toss in mass mass storage support, so you could theoretically plug in a thumb drive and open files and see what's on the on the on the thumb drive and copy the files and stuff like that things you do on a laptop today and uh you know i don't know i I don't think it's i don't think it's likely but i i really kind of want that to happen i mean i would like to see apple take a step in it by making a keyboard that is like the bridge keyboard so they make right keyboard that just that, that makes your iPad more like a laptop. They have been making iPad keyboards since the very, very first iPad. Um, I don't know why Apple have to just make one keyboard and that keyboard needs to be a smart cover. Like, maybe branch out a little bit more. Like, what if you made something that was low profile and, like, even if it had, like, the current keyboard that you have in the MacBook Pro for all of its faults? Like, why don't we... <laughs> why don't you just make, you know, just, just yeah. let, let me see what you can do. Like, something that is wonderful and smart connected and everything. Right. There's a design challenge there, and it may be that they've they, they've tried that and they realize what you have to do is make changes on the iPad hardware to do it the way they would want it. And then every iPad has that and maybe it makes it a less desirable, you know, uh, device when it's not attached to the keyboard or something like that. I mean, there are lots, uh, lots of arguments. I mean, every iPad has magnets and a smart connector on it, whether you use it or not, right. you know? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think, um, I think at the very least, I would like to see Apple try to make a more, even when Microsoft came out with the, the uh the surface like they had two keyboards right <laughs> they had the flimsy keyboard and then they had the more rugged keyboard and apple has basically said no we're not interested in that and i get that there are lots of engineering issues there and that the there are things about the bridge keyboard because it's got those clips that you have to slide things into and all that that's like i i don't think apple would make that design but i would like to see apple's take on it because the third party takes are okay but if Apple fully committed to that, I think it would have to be to a higher standard. That may be why Apple hasn't committed to it. But yeah, I, I, I think. And that's why I started to think about the laptop thing, too, or the convertible thing. Because then, you know, it's it's Apple saying, well, this isn't just like an accessory for the iPad Pro. Maybe it's like it's another iPad or device of some kind where the keyboard is more integrated even though it doesn't have to be in the shape of a laptop all the time they could do that if they wanted to and maybe that would be a more apple-y thing to do saying well you know the existing ipad is meant to be primarily a tablet this thing is going to be primarily sort of like a thing where the keyboard stays attached but you can flip it over or detach it if you need to Um, it might be a better product if it's if it's designed like that but um, i would love to see them try because and I've, I've written about this a lot. I've talked about it a lot, but just the short version of it is I want to see Apple experiment with taking iOS places that it isn't right now, which is someplace that isn't the phone and the iPad. And because I do think that the future of iOS needs to be in other devices too. And it, whether that's a laptop or a convertible or a desktop, or I don't know what else, I would like to see it um, push the boundaries a little bit in two areas that will make Mac users maybe uncomfortable because it's like, well, wait a second, isn't that the, the Mac's domain? I feel like there's more gray area there for Apple to explore if they can get over the fact that, you know, they would end up selling two things that look like a laptop and they run different operating systems. So, but this is, oh, well, what, oh, what about the iPad mini? 
I would like it to continue. I I have some hope, uh, and I don't know how likely it is that they will make a new iPad Mini that is that is cheap like the iPad is. I don't think it will be a pro anything, but I I just in defense of the iPad Mini, I used one for a long time and loved it, and my son still uses one and loves it. And I think it's great for kids, and I think for people who want the smallest iPad possible. Um, and I feel like it's almost like an iPhone SE sort of thing, where every two or three years, can they just update the iPad mini and keep it down there in the price list next to the iPad for people who want a smaller iPad? Essentially, same specs, but smaller. Um, I, again, would not lay odds on that, but I would kind of like to see it continue. Although, if I had to make a trade between the iPad mini existing and some new iOS slash iPad device appear, I would choose the new over the iPad mini. But I'd love to see them maintain the iPad mini. All right, this is only part of the whole story, right? We need to talk about iOS itself. Uh, But before we do, let's take a break and thank SaneBox. I bet that if you're listening to this show, there's probably something that you don't like about email. And you can probably fix that problem with SaneBox. So email, one of its biggest problems is that it all looks exactly the same. You have a mountain of email and there's no way to really decipher what's what. This is one of the biggest problems of email. At a glance, it can be really difficult to work out exactly what needs your attention. Well, wouldn't it be nice if your email could be sorted for you before it even hits your inbox? No matter what app or service you use, no matter what type of email provider you're using, that it's all there and all of the trivial stuff gets moved out of the way for you. Well, that is what SaneBox is all about. They look through your email, they sort it for you, and they make sure that only the messages in your inbox are the ones that you're going to need. And the great thing is that it will work seamlessly with anything that you're currently using. One of the best features, one of my favorite features, the same box is called the black hole. All you need to do is move an unwanted email from a sender that you don't want to hear from into that folder, and you will never hear from them ever again. With SaneBox, you can also set up email reminders, snooze your email, and so much more. I was checking out SaneBox when I signed up uh, a little while ago. And one thing that I was concerned about is part of my job is in sales. So I get emails from people I've never heard from all the time. And they're important emails. I don't want them to be hidden. During the setup process of SaneBox, they ask you this exact question. Like, are you a person who is in sales or something like that, and you get email from people you've never heard of before. If you say yes, they tweak their algorithm for that. So it's all so that sort of stuff's going to keep going to your inbox. It's really, really cool. Um, I like one of the other features that they have. It's called Sane News, where they try and work out the newsletters that you get and keep them out of your inbox and put them into a folder for you. I love all of this stuff. It's a really great way of separating all of your email. Um, and I'm pretty sure that I am hooked. Uh, to help you get a little more organization in your inbox, we've worked out a deal with SaneBox. So if you go to samebox.com slash upgradefm, you'll get a two-week free trial and an extra $25 credit just because you listen to this show. You don't have to give them your credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's nothing to lose. Check it out today and get your email finally under control. That is samebox.com slash upgradefm. That is S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com slash upgrade and then FM at the end. Our thanks to Samebox for their support of this week's show and Relay FM. My biggest wish for iOS 12 is a sign of life for the iPad. I don't need tons and tons of features. I just want to know we're good. 
Yeah, I, uh, well, I think, I don't know. I'm not so desperate that I'm saying, oh, show us the, there's a sign of life. Um, I think it's we not have desperation. Signs. It's more just like iOS 11 was like, we forgot the iPad. Like, it, what yes. iPad? Right? iOS 10 was like, oh, here's some great stuff. Like, oh, wow, this looks awesome. And iOS 11 was like, here's some stickers for iMessage. Right? Like, that was, and, and like the iPad just got, enhancements that the iPhone got, but not in a great way. I feel like you're bargaining here a little bit. I I want, what I want on my wish list is I want Apple to show that there are going to be iPad improvements every year, not every other year. That the iPad is important enough and that one of the ways that iOS needs to grow is more capabilities for things that are being pushed by the iPad Pro, not by the iPhone. And so mm-hmm. um, the iPhone's great. They're going to add features for the iPhone. The iPhone is a huge driver of Apple's business. But in terms of moving this platform forward, the iPad is sort of the frontier. And I want to see them not have that be an every two years thing. Oh, for sure. I mean, look, I'm I'm on that train. But like, worst comes to worst, I'm cool with just like a new feature of some description and a bunch of really good fixes. Um because I don't have anything in my mind right now, which is like the real big stuff that I want to see. Uh, I would like to see some refinements to multitasking. I want to see some fixes for files, and I have some lists of that stuff. Uh, but really, you know, just showing me that continued specific work is happening on the iPad is that's the main thing that I want to see. Um, because really, it honestly didn't even feel like we got a lot of bug fixes to iPad features in 11 either. Like, it kind of just stayed as it was. So uh, two big features, or two big focuses for me uh, for what I want to see improved on the iPad in iOS 12. Um, I want to see some refinements to iPad multitasking. Uh, I think quite a few people uh, have found the new system confusing. And I don't want them to start over because I do believe it is a much better system Um, I use it to great effect every day, but I think clearing it up a little could be nice. And in your article on Macworld, you mentioned a couple of things that you wanted to say. Yeah, um, so I don't know. There's this, the app buddy system, which I like and uh, exists, but I kind of would like apps to be able to be paired with more than one buddy so if you switch you know to be able to set up different pairs and switch between them um or uh, a, a, a relatively easy way for an app to be able to display two instances of itself side by side like what safari does would also be nice um uh the the uh, mike and cgp gray uh official keyboard shortcuts for multitasking so that you can keep your hands on the keyboard i would like as a part of it too i just i would like them to look at what shipped and how people are using it and make some refinements because what happened the last time was they shipped it it was apparent from day one that it wasn't um very good but it did the job and then nothing happened for two years now what and then they shipped something that's a complete rethink great I don't want it to just sit there for two years because they they've seen how people use it. They probably have ideas. I would like that iteration 
whatever they choose to do, I would really like to see iOS 12 make the stuff that was introduced in 11 a little bit better with a little more, you know, a little more capability for those who want want to use it. Um, just that, that, I would like to see that. I, w- I would like to see some progress instead of it being like, look, we gave it to you, wait two years, and maybe we'll give you something totally different again. I, I, I don't think we're in that position now. I just think refinement is a good thing that they can do. Um, I would also like to see clearing up of some inconsistencies with iPhone 10 gestures. Like, I, I, I understand why yeah. they differ now, but um, I would like to see that kind of just, just cleared up a little bit, you know, just, well, just do some stuff there. And, and, and that brings up the, uh, the whole control center issue. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's on iPad and on iPhone 10. Like, on iPad, you swipe up and you get multitasking and control center together. On iPhone 10, you swipe up and you get multitasking um, if you hold, and you get the home screen if you don't. And I, I know why, but that's confusing. I I still, even after all this time, swipe the wrong way on these devices, on all of these devices, because I just haven't internalized it even now. Um, so I think I would like to see if there's any way to try and get them in the ballpark, like... And I have a suggestion, and I'm sure they tested it and they didn't like it, but um, I hate the placement of Control Center on the iPhone X in the upper right corner. I don't use Control Center almost ever. And when I do, I'm always frustrated because it's like I swipe down. Oh, no, that's Notification Center. I got to be further over to the right. Oh, there it is. It's top right. I used to flip up Control Center from the bottom all the time. And that gesture got repurposed for the home screen. Fair, but... The other problem is swiping up on my iPad and holding gets me multitasking plus control center, and that doesn't happen on the iPhone. So I kind of want swiping up and holding on the iPhone 10 to bring up control center and multitasking, even if it would be cramped. I kind of want that because I, I want to be able to access control center from my thumb at the bottom of the screen. Plus, it would be nice if those gestures were harmonious because right now they're not. They're kind of all over the place. And I, I don't think, I mean, swipe down from the top and in some places it's notification center and in other places it's control center is not, it's just not good. It's not, it, and it has not gotten better for me over time. I'm still frustrated by it. I want to see consistency. I want to see them do something that brings those two things closer together. Like I, I would love to see something. I, again, I don't know what it is, and I agree with you. I'm sure they tested all of these things, but whether they liked it or they didn't like it, I don't think that the implementation that they went with is the best one on the iPhone 10. Like I have no. also yet to in like, even though I do remember that it's in the top right, I know it's not the right place for me. Like it doesn't feel right. I don't like it. Um, I would yep. like to see them try and find a way to put it all into multitasking because I think that would help a lot of it. Um, of the you know they're going to look different, they're going to be different, but I think that it works best there. Or you know, as you said, from uh, the home screen, even like something somehow, just like some make it better, yeah. make it uh, just better. Files. Um, okay, I. I'm very happy with the Files app, and it makes working on iOS a lot better for me. But I also have a lot of problems with the Files app, which have been exacerbated over time. I've been recording some of these. Uh, So here they are. Frequently, I have to restart the device to download files because it gets stuck on a spinner just saying waiting to download, and the file never downloads. And the only way to fix this is to reboot the entire device, which 
is wild. Um, I would like better ways to navigate where to save things to from the extension. It's basically just tapping and scrolling through huge lists right now. Uh I feel like that that is not the best way of doing things. Uh, For some reason, the Files app sometimes just completely forgets what my favorites are that I drag into the favorites view. Like, Uh I I drag Dropbox folders into there, and sometimes they're not there anymore. Um, (laughs) I would like to be able to save things locally to an iPad. I don't always need it to be saved to iCloud Drive. Like, just let me save it locally to the iPad. And, I mean, saving to iCloud Drive kind of seems to do this anyway. And if that's the case, then, like, why do I even have on my iPad as an option? Like, just hide that from me. Like, I don't need to see it. Right. uh, you know, just a place sometimes I just need to save a file to what is effectively the desktop, right? Like a yes. scratch area. Um, and also, I'm going to just say this for Jason, just Thank let you. us read files from an SD card. Like, just let us do it. Yeah, just, you've got a file browser. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, SD cards, I think USB hard drives. And I heard a bunch of people uh, when I wrote about this were like, oh, but the security implications. Oh, is Apple incapable of dealing with security implications? Like yes, they are, and 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 the this is these are devices, especially things like the iPad Pro, where you know you're the one I always give is you're you're somewhere in a remote place and there's no good internet and somebody has a big uh, spreadsheet or PowerPoint presentation they need to get to you and you brought your iPad Pro. Well, guess what? You can't have it. They, you know they've got here it is on a flash drive. No, we can't sync with the cloud. How do you get it on there? You can't, right? Like it's it's this is just a pro. I, and I realize it's not for everybody, but for people in those environments, they need something like that. Why not do that? I'd also say, can you imagine um, a modern computer shipping with the inability to attach to a uh, a file server in an office? But iOS, can you con- connect directly from iOS to an SMB server in an office? You can't. You can't. That should be built into the Files app. I realize that connecting to a file server on a network is different from connecting to a cloud service, but... It's not that different and you should do it. You should be able to do it. Now that we have the file browser, I know, and I know this is a case of like, oh, we want a file browser. Well, here you go, but it's limited. The next thing we say is going to be, it needs to be less limited, but that's where we are is if you, if you're going to have a file browser in the operating system, it needs to do these things, all these things better. It needs to handle the local storage. That's not iCloud drive better. It needs to connect to servers. It needs to be able to read mass storage devices that are plugged into it. And it, yes, it needs to do that all securely on top of it. Just like theoretically, like a Mac would do um or better but because it doesn't you know the mac has limitations that uh, other operating systems don't have in terms of mounting and unmounting storage too so i don't know that that is that that's a big one for me it's like now that files app is there it needs to do more for the people who are using it because it's frustrating it's way better than our old method of accessing all this stuff i can take i just did this over the weekend when i was doing a podcast i was uh i needed to put the art of the podcast into ferrite's little window of mp3 metadata and the art i have is all in a dropbox folder on my mac this is not a problem but on the ipad it becomes this thing where i used to have to save the art to the camera roll in order to add it later which is stupid because then i've got podcast logos in my camera roll and with files i can drag and drop out of a dropbox folder i can drag that file out onto the uh, image drop point in ferrite and it downloads the file from dropbox and drops it in it's it's beautiful great i'm so happy that we can do that i want more now icloud storage yeah they got to do something i mean the free five gigabytes is rapidly becoming a joke Mm -hmm. and 
if they're going to, I am a believer that they need to do something more and they need to give users more because you give, you give them that and use it as a way to show off how great iCloud is. And then they pay you to, for even more storage. But I think that the way they're doing it now is a mistake. Like they haven't changed this in a long time. I think you want to show off iCloud to people. I think it's complex to get people to upgrade. And then what you want to do is set the set the bar a little bit higher where they can use it for a little bit and then be like, oh, now I need to pay for this other storage tier where I'm paying $5 a month or $10 a month or whatever, but it's totally worth it. But right now you hit that wall so quickly and it's still five gigs per Apple ID, which I also think is a mistake. I, I feel like, you know, maybe with a device purchase, you should get uh, uh, more storage or you should get storage for a year or two uh, at a certain level. So it's almost like a trial. Um, there are lots of different options here. I hope somebody at Apple keeps kind of game planning this stuff, but I would like them to see, to, to approach iCloud storage in a different way where it's more useful out of the box without paying because you did buy an Apple product. Give, give the new user something for having paid Apple for this piece of hardware. And then also make it kind of like a good entry point into iCloud where people get to the point where they're like, oh yeah, this is great. I need to buy more storage and use that as the way to sell them. The fact that Apple does a 99 cents a month tier of iCloud storage, it's like, why is why does that exist? Like, that's not good for anyone because it's the barrier of paying. And a lot of people are just going to hit that barrier and bounce right off of it. And surely a $12 a year iCloud drive subscription is not a major driver of Apple cloud revenue. Like that's a, that's a good trade-off to make. Like don't, don't, don't make them pay at that level. Raise the bar a little bit more, let people get involved. I think it's been proven time and again that giving people a, a taste for free and having them become reliable or reliant on it. And then wanting more, like this is the whole freemium model. Like I think, I think, Apple needs to recalibrate what they're doing with iCloud storage. They've needed to do it for five years. They still haven't done it. Maybe they never will, but I feel like they are making a mistake that hurts the user experience of people who are getting Apple devices because now they're pushed to sign up for iCloud and they get almost nothing for it. They try to do a backup, things fall apart, and then they get the upsell. And I don't think that's a good user experience. And what about iCloud photo library i'm going to give you your opportunity to <sighs> thank you to complain it, about this as you do every year here's my here's my yeah i know every year i do it and they just don't um they just don't they don't want to listen uh, to but us. but here it is which is um i have photos and my wife has photos that we take that we want to share with each other at full quality because we don't need two photo libraries we need one photo library not everybody wants to share all their photos with other members of their family. That's fine. But there should be options. And my wife should be able to say all of these photos or all my photos I take or all the photos with certain faces in them or whatever just sync over to the other library. I should be able to say all the photos in the library sync to my wife's devices. Because right now, if she wants to make a calendar based on, uh, based on uh, all our pictures we took last year for this year, she has to use my computer to do it. She can't use her Mac to do it. She can't use her iPad to do it. She can't use her iPhone to do it. because She's got her own Apple ID. 
And her photos that she takes are on her own Apple ID, which is fine. Now, there is some family sharing in iCloud because every time I complain, somebody mentions, but there is family sharing in iCloud. It is, you've got to drag the files in to a family shared album and they're down They're not full quality. So you can't use it archivally. It's not your family photo library. It's just a place for you to quickly share a file at a lower resolution with your family. It's not good enough. It's not good enough. So it's, this is not a feature for everybody, but I think it's a feature for a lot of people, especially um, especially married people who, you know, with kids and they take pictures and, and then they're trying to build photo albums and things like that and they don't have access to the other person's photos. Um, and I always hear people are like, oh, well, do you really want to share all your photos? You know, like there can be privacy issues and people, yes, some, if, if this is a feature, some idiot is going to take terrible photos of something and their spouse is going to see it and it's going to lead to problems in their marriage. Okay, sure, that is not enough of a reason to keep everybody else from having this feature. So you put some security systems in place, you opt people in, you can limit it by location or time or or faces or whatever you want, but there's got to be a better way than me taking my wife's phone every three months or six months and just plugging it into my Mac and importing all her photos into my library because that's where we are right now. It's dumb. So that is our iOS wish list uh, for 2018. Yeah, I'm not count- I'm not counting on my wishes being fulfilled, but it's good to get it out. It's good to get the expectations and the hopes and the dreams out there. You gotta, you gotta share them. So a while back, uh, we spoke about trying to give some of our knowledge about podcasting on this show in a semi-recurring segment of podcast tips. And I want to do one today. Um, and I want to tackle a question that is maybe asked of me more frequently than any any other, and for a good reason. Um, and this question uh, comes from Jay. And Jay asked, how does one market a podcast to grow its audience? Jay says, we've shown up every day for the past year and our numbers do not see any growth. All right. So without a doubt, this is the question that I get asked the most. And I guess one of the one of the problems with this question is that there is no right answer. So I have a story that I want to tell, which is kind of an abridged version of my story and what I learned from it. And then, Jason, I thought that you could maybe tell an abridged version of your story. Sure. And then we can – I think that I think there is something to take from it, but it is not the 10 quick steps to podcast success. So I started podcasting over 10 years ago now, which – it's a horrific fault to me <laughs> that I've been doing this for 10 years. And when I started, the landscape is very different to what it is now, even just in tech podcasting. There were not as many tech shows then as there is now. And I started my first show and it was mostly focused around technology because it was something that I loved. So I started doing it and it wasn't good for a while, but I got the practice in. And then when me and my co-hosts felt that we were better and knew what we were doing, we started to get guests on our show. Um, And the thinking was then uh, that it would give variety to the show and also help us get promoted as people would share the episode with their followers. And I know that this sounds like a super simple tactic that many shows take now, but honestly, there were not a lot of people doing this then. 
um, that this wasn't like a a thing in technology podcasting that people would have uh, wonderful guests like Jason on their show, which I did even on my very first show. Jason was a guest and it was wonderful and it was great to have Jason as a guest on my show and I was very happy that he came on the show. And the reason that this worked for me then is because people like Jason did not have their own technology podcasts that they were on every week at that time. Like it just wasn't a thing, right? And so now this doesn't work very well because you get to hear these people every week. So like if you have Jason as a guest on your technology show now, it may not be so much of a, a boon for you because people hear Jason talk about this stuff on his show Upgrade every week, right? So like it is less of a thing now, but then it was more of a thing because everybody didn't have their own show. So this was kind of how I got my break. It is not helpful advice anymore because I don't think that it is very applicable today. I don't think having guests on a show specifically will help grow your show because it is a tried and true method at this point. Like this is something that lots and lots and lots of people do as a way to try and get more attention to their podcast is to have guests on. So Jason, before uh, I, I talk about what I think can be learned from my method, how did you get your breakthrough in podcasting? Well, it, it helps to have an audience, right? And I had an audience with uh, Macworld. I was writing my column in Macworld every month and would, you know, that promote my Twitter feed, which I would then say I did this podcast and I did this podcast. And, you know, when I went out on my own, Six Colors, I post items there when we post podcasts. Um, not all of them, but most of them. Um, and that all helped. Um the being around being around people who are podcasting and have audiences um there are a few ways to do that we actually had a, there was a thread of people who are members of the incomparable um we have a, a discussion area for them it's a great user benefit and there was a conversation there about how people found the incomparable that sprung up and it was fascinating to see that because um a lot of it was i heard jason on the talk show I saw Jason on Twit. Um, uh, some of it was uh, because I do the show with Tim Goodman. Like uh, I listened to Tim Goodman's podcast and the new version has Jason and that's where I found the incomparable. Um, uh, some of it was from other, you know, other podcasts I did. There was lots of different ways of, of leading into it. When the incomparable went on five by five, it exposed the five by five audience to that podcast. And that, that was a, uh, a way that it grew. Um, so I'd say being, you know, being adjacent to people with different audiences than you. Like one of the great things about me going on Twit is I feel like the vast majority of the people on the, on Leah Laporte's uh, audience don't know who the hell I am. <laughs> and so every time I go there, I feel like people discover who I am and that turns them into maybe upgrade listeners or download listeners or incomparable listeners or whatever. Right. I think that that that's nice. Having guests on, can be great. Like one of the things about incomparable being a panel show is that I end up having John Syracuse saying, Oh, I was on the incomparable talking about star Wars or John Gruber saying I was on talking about the Godfather and that, that all kind of feeds into it. So some of it is just, you know, can you be adjacent to other people? And I'm not saying like you need to be a remora attached to a famous person. I'm saying find people who are like you and, and maybe who like you who have audiences that are not your audience mm -hmm. because 
the truth is that's kind of how it happens is you, you get exposed to a different audience and then some of them follow you back because they like what you have to say. And a lot of, and most of them won't because not, they won't necessarily dislike you, but they just, they'll be like, okay, that was a guest and they move on. But some people might. And, and so for me, it's been you know, all of those things rolled together is having an existing audience, being adjacent to people with other audiences and, and, and sort of having them discover what I'm doing through their audiences, whether it's me guesting on their place or them guesting on, on, on my place. And then the truth is, Mike, and, you know, you and I, uh, this may be where you're going with this, is a lot of it is luck. A lot of it is luck. Um, you're in the right place at the right time. I'd say don't get disheartened if your uh, audience size is flat. Because, I don't know, I mean, my experience is most podcasts spend a long time with the same audience. Mm -hmm. I've also seen it that you have a flat audience for a while, and then suddenly you enter a growth phase. And um, I don't know, and again, why did that happen? We don't always know. We often have no idea why, oh, well, somehow the ball started rolling and suddenly now we're being listened to by more people. But it totally happens. So um, sometimes a podcast reaches its level and that's just what it is. And that's okay. Um, other times, uh, other times not. And also I'd say be realistic about the numbers. I mean, you know, I do podcasts with... Um, some of the podcasts I do are probably only listened to by like 4,000 people, which to some people is a huge audience. And to, to me is like one of my smaller things. And that's just, that's just how it is. Like some, everything, it finds its own level. Maybe that's all that it's ever going to be. And that's just how it is. And you have to be comfortable with that. Yeah. So like, you know, like we are kind of coming, we're like conflicting a little bit in what we're saying. Cause like I was saying that, you know, I don't think that guests help as much anymore, and 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 you were saying that they helped you, and I, and I I agree with what you're saying. I I more mean that like going from having a small show to being where I am now, like my method to to starting off was to get guests and to start to meet people, and it definitely helps, but I don't think it helps to the level that it helped me ten years ago. Um, but it still can. And, and I do think you, your biggest help was the fact that you had an existing audience of people, right? There, there were people there to listen to you. And that is even harder to get, right? Like, do you are you already the editorial director of a magazine? Well, you know, that helps. But what we're trying to say with this is the lesson is that you there are many different ways in which you can find success in your creative project. And like with all creative projects, it is very hard to make it successful. Like to grow any creative endeavor takes time and hard work and effort. One of the key things that I recommend to you is to find the thing that makes your show different and lean into that. If you can't find the thing that makes your show different, you need to find something that makes it different. Right, because like, otherwise it's going to yes. be like something that everybody else is already listening to. So, you know, find that thing, lean into that thing, and I think that it might help people start to share the show because they're going to find it exciting and interesting. Yep, it's it's no guarantee of success, but I think it will help. That should al always be yeah. Be do something that is not like everything else if you I know easier to say than do but and, and and be true to yourself and have it be something that you care about and that you're enthusiastic about and and be yourself when you're doing it like all of those things are are part of the secret sauce there 
But I just want everybody to know this is something that we both still struggle with today. There oh, yeah. are shows that we'll launch and we don't know if they're going to work. It's a gamble every time and sometimes stuff doesn't work and it doesn't go the way that you want. This is a thing that can still happen no matter how long you've been doing this. Um, so it is, it's hard work. But as Jason said, if you if you do something that you really care about, that will help you get through the times when it's not going anywhere. You know, I, I spent seven years not getting where I wanted to be. So like, it was a long time, right? Like, and I had a lot of great success over that period of time, but it wasn't what I wanted. Like what I wanted was to be a full-time podcaster. It took me seven years to get there. So there are, there's a lot of ups and downs. If this is something that you truly want to do and it's something that you think is awesome, then keep working at it and you'll get there eventually. So uh, please send in, just tweet to me. I get lots of tweets this week, lots of segment ideas and names and questions. Just send me, your, if you want to hear us talk about a question that you have about podcasting, uh, just send it to me over on Twitter or via email or something, and we'll try and include it uh, in a later episode. Mm-hmm. And thanks again to Jay, and good luck, Jay, uh, with your show. Today's episode is also brought to you by Squarespace. Use the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. They will let you easily create the website for your next idea or project. And with the ability to grab a unique domain name, take advantage of beautiful, award-winning, wonderful, customizable templates, and with award-winning 24-7 customer support, they are the all-in-one platform that will let you quickly and easily get your next website off the ground. No matter what type of site you want to create, whether it's a blog or a portfolio, maybe a a website for an event you've got coming up, maybe you want to start an online store. No matter what it is, Squarespace can help you do that. There is nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about that stuff for Squarespace. They've got you covered. Their plans start at just $12 a month, but you can start a trial today with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. I really, really recommend Squarespace. I've used them personally for so many projects over the years and continue to um, because it just saves so much time and effort than having to think about like trying to start from scratch. I wouldn't even know where to begin, honestly. Squarespace really, really helps out. When you decide to sign up for Squarespace, use the offer code UPGRADE to get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for this show. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. It is time for hashtag ask upgrade. One laser. So you can get. Oh, there was more. Okay, delay delay reaction on the lasers, everybody. The lasers had to. The lasers uh, had some ice on them that they had to like. Uh, shift oh, it is cold. To break the ice off. Yeah, it is cold in some places. Braden asks, any suggestions on a solid iOS email app? I am going to remove the word solid from Braden's question because there isn't one. Um, in my opinion, uh, Jason, what is your email app of choice right now? Mail dot app. Yeah, you're back. Everything on all platforms. No, on the Mac, I'm using uh, Mailplane, which is just uh, framing Gmail in a uh, a more capable kind of keyboard shortcut kind of app window. It's like a single site browser sort of for Gmail. Um, everywhere else, it's Apple Mail. Okay. Um, I'm still using Airmail. Airmail is not perfect, uh, but it has a bunch of features that I really, really like from it. Um, I find myself getting frustrated at it from time to time, um, but it does offer me features that other apps don't and they're features that I really like. So I struggle to move away. That's what we're using right now. 
Napali asks or says, I love my iPhone 10, but it drives me crazy when I grab it and it lights up upside down. Do you think a dot or a line to indicate orientation with the black screen could be useful? So I would say I also do this a lot. I pick up my iPhone. It's in the wrong orientation. Um, I don't think I would want something like always printed on the phone. Uh, what I would like to see uh, is Apple try and do something which is like always on with the OLED screen. Maybe the clock and some notification badges could be there. So I'll know because I can see that that, that might be nice. Yeah, I agree with you. The OLED screen should allow us to have some subtle notifications on the iPhone 10, right? And Apple has chosen not to do that. And I don't really know why, but this is a good this is another good reason why you might want to do that is it would also allow for some clearer orientation in the mm-hmm. dark. Mhm. Just yeah. any time, like in pure daylight, I pick my phone up in the, the wrong way around. Uh, right, but but like having I tap I tap my screen all the time mm-hmm. to see like what the time is. Yeah, um, yeah. When or I'm sitting on my desk, I, I mean, I, I even even when on. I have an Apple Watch, or yeah, see or see if there's something going on. That's fine. But like if I had a little like readout that also just said, you know, maybe it was like really super super subtle. Maybe it just said the time and like how many notifications were on the screen, like you know two. And I could tap and I could see the notifications that pop up or something like that. They, I'm interested in the fact that Apple has not done that, even though they've got an OLED screen here. And yeah, I, I think that uh, Nopali's suggestion of maybe even just keeping that uh, that really light gray uh, uh, line at the bottom of the screen that's the home indicator thing, even something like that that would make it clearer... Um, that that you could do that or some version of that. I get yeah, there's there's burning though, issues and stuff too, but I would like to it. see the line go away in the future. Sure, like I I, I kind of don't need it. Um, I I know why they have it. It makes sense to have it for now, but like eventually, it'd be nice if it just didn't went there anymore. Uh, I agree. David just got a new MacBook Pro from work. Any recommendations for a good dongle bag? Jason, do you use a dongle bag? I, do, I, I have never used the phrase dongle bag before, and I don't think I will again. I don't have anything okay. like that. I recommend uh, that you go to your sandwich uh, drawer and pull out a, a Ziploc, Ziploc bag. Ziploc will and do it. just stick them in there, because that's what I do. I recommend uh, perusing the accessories page with, at Tom Bin. Uh, they have lots and lots and lots of options for dongle bags and dongle holders, so they're good. Jason, this is a good question for you. We were talking about something uh, okay. when, you were, when you were describing your rat nest of cables recently. Uh, oh, yes. It popped into my head. Wow, that was a fun time for everyone. Tim wrote in uh, to ask any suggestions for what to do with old, unused technology items. Tim has been cleaning out some boxes of old tech and came across some stuff like iPod docks and mice and cables. feels wasteful to just throw them out. Jason, what do you do with this stuff? Um, what I recommend is if you have a local um, electronics recycling point, and a lot of places have this, um, I have one that it's open, I think it's open five days a week, seven days a week even, um, and it's a place where you can drop off old old computers, old hard drives. I mean, ideally wipe all your information off them first, but they take them and my at least my place it seems like they do they they do some diagnosis of like can we refurbish this can we sell this do we do we dismantle this but if there's somewhere where they have old where they take old tech 
and they may talk, call it electronics recycling or something like that. I would say do that. Um, people, you know, people don't want you to come in with a rat's nets of cables and say, here, I got this for you. Like nobody wants that. But um, I agree it feels wasteful to just throw it in the garbage. I would rather give it to somebody who who at least might look at them all and be like, these, these are good. I can, I can, again, reuse them, donate them, sell them or whatever, but you're probably not going to do that yourself. So, um, that's my, that's my recommendation. I mean, if you've got a lot of spare time, you could put those things in dongle bags or, or Ziploc bags or whatever, and go to your local, I don't know where school library or, um, or some other kind of donation place and say, would you, you know, would you like some USB cables? I've got them in a bag here. But uh, for the most part, I would say um, I try to find a place where they take old tech. And that's where when I cleaned up my uh, rat's nest of cables, that's where most of them went, along with some of the old uh, hardware boxes that I had. Jared asked, if not in Evernote, what do you use to organize and store long-term data like medical documents or tax documents and stuff like that, Jason? Um, the, yeah, Dropbox, PDFs and other mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, I'm um, saying files and folders in Dropbox is fine because it just seems like the most simple yeah. and and portable way of doing it. Like, we put all this stuff in Evernote. Trying to get everything out of Evernote is a nightmare and that was the indication to me, like, the, I don't when need an I start, app, yeah, to store to store PDFs. I I, I don't right. I I, I the, the file system does that, and so um, Lauren and I have a shared Dropbox folder that I put stuff in and she puts stuff in, yeah. and we both can see, and that's where that stuff lives. And then the other great thing about Dropbox is when I'm done with all my tax stuff for the year, I just send a link to my accountant, right? Because it's the easiest way to get to this stuff. I just I just package it all up. And I just say, here you go, and it's taken care of. And I'm happy with that, right? Like it's done, taken care of. Yep. And our last question today comes from Justin. Justin wants to know, what are your AirPod settings? Play, pause, Siri, next track. And do we do the same for the left or right AirPods? Jason, what do you have set up? Um, Next track on the right. And I think play, pause on the left. Although most of the time I just take the earbud out if I want to pause. Hmm. I do uh, play pause on both because I just wouldn't remember. I, just, I know I won't and I'll be hitting the wrong side of my head every time. And just for the record, I'll say it every time, I still hate doing that. I hate the tapping. I hate it when it doesn't work and then you tap, tap your ears six times to get anything to play again. Uh, it's just still not a fan of, the, the, it's, of that. It's very straightforward, Mike. You you tap for the next track on your right ear because it's to the right, and that means next because in our culture we yeah, go from left to right. It's the where the right okay. where the next track button is on the interface mm-hmm. is also the right side, so it's that ear. You see. If you want to find our show notes for this week, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 176. Thanks again to Squarespace, Anchor, and Sanebox for their support of this show. You can go to sixcolors.com for Jason's work, theincomparable.com, or you can go to relay.fm slash shows, and you can find many shows that Jason hosts and that I host. And maybe there's something new for you there. Go check it out. Maybe go start listening to Download or Connected or clockwise or why don't you go and listen to roboism or originality pick something new there are so many things 
over at relay.fm some listen would say some would download say, is the one okay listen to download that apparently is the one some would say we have uh, a portion of all the great shows some um, would say mm-hmm. some, would say. some would say that uh, thanks for listening you can send in hashtag ask upgrade or hashtag snow talk questions as always and we will compile those for a future episode uh, Jason is at jsnell on twitter I am at imike i-m-y-k-e and we'll be back next time until then say goodbye Jason Snell live long and prosper everybody that was just a troll for the Star Wars podcast.